Thanks to our sponsor, Raygun. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software. And what makes it so unique is that not only does it tell you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it, right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every single day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit raygun.com to resolve issues faster and to deliver flawless digital experiences for your users. That's raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial with plans starting from as little as $4 a month. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 435. Today, we're going to talk about the Azure news from Microsoft Ignite 2021, recorded live November 11th, 2021. This episode is brought to you by Geomont. Have you thought about adding contact center capabilities into your existing Microsoft Teams user base? If so, take advantage of our promo to add BuzzEasy Contact Center for Teams from Geomont and get your first month subscription for free. It's a complete omni-channel experience that works seamlessly with Teams Voice. BuzzEasy was developed with best practices in Azure and offers a rich, easy-to-use experience. Geomont is a Microsoft Gold Partner, part of the Technology Adoption Program, and their BuzzEasy chatbot solution for Teams has been chosen as a preferred solution on the Microsoft App Store. See the show notes for details around a special offer. Back to the show. Good morning, AC. Hey, CJ. How's it going? I am well. I am very well. How about you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's busy, 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 busy. November always seems so darn busy for me, but uh, it's crazy rushing busy. to get stuff before the end of the year, huh? There's that side, and when you are heavily invested in Black Friday and how much stuff you try and do around it, it's amazing mm. like how much work goes into it. Absolutely frantic right now with trying to get right. stuff done. Yeah, I guess that's what that's not next week, the week after. Yeah, it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I have stuff that starts rolling out next week and just like emails and like just traffic campaign, just trying to get more traffic coming into the website to make people aware of it and everything. So there's a lot of, there's a lot that goes into it, a lot of moving pieces. And I have a whole like, you schedule as much stuff as you can to be done automatically for you. And then I have this task list that has reminders set up that, okay, this stuff has to be done on this day and this stuff has to be done on this day. And then this stuff can be done, but I can set up a schedule, but I can't have the schedule get set until next Monday to where it runs a whole week. And it's, ah, but yeah, no, I bet. Yeah. So it's like a, it's like a well choreographed release. And the nice thing is that once it starts, it's kind of like hands off and you just kind of yep. respond to people yep. asking questions, but nice. Uh, yeah. How about you? Nice. What you up to? I'm not too crazy gearing up for a work trip next week, actually, which is going to be like, what? So yeah, I'm, I'm heading to, uh, near Toledo in Ohio next week. Holy uh, to Toledo. One of it. Yeah, exactly. I've got to use that. I've got it. Everybody be like, yeah, I've heard it all before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm visiting our factory there. That'll be good. Mm. See how it's made. Very cool. That'll be cool. Yeah, it'd be kind of yeah. nice to see like what you, be kind of nice to see like what you sell and what your main business is to see how it's actually made. That's going to be, that's going to be interesting to see. Yeah. It's like the CICD pipeline for physical goods. no easy way to roll out an update on that one huh this is actually one of the predicaments with software and hardware together right is there's 
you can make software updates all you like, but you know, once hardware's out there, it's hard to update it. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Putting a patch on it means something totally different. Oh, totally, yeah. <laughs> like the old so bundle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now I'm going out there, visiting the factory, and we've got a bunch of meetings and things set up, and it'll be, it'll be good to meet more of the team that I haven't met some of my team in person yet. So I get to meet two of them uh, for the first time who are directly on my team, and then some of the others in the company, obviously. But yeah, it's going to feel pretty weird. Yeah, I bet. Well, that's again. cool. Yeah, yeah. So last week we covered a bunch of news from Ignite 2021, mostly as it related to Microsoft 365 and Teams and all that sort of stuff. But we wanted to split this into two parts, right? Because there was quite a lot to talk about last week. Mm. There's also quite a bit to talk about this week. But this week, we're going to focus on the Azure side of the business, right? So what came out at Microsoft Ignite, and we're going to talk about a bunch of Azure news and things, things like that. But before we do that, we're going to jump into a what's new with Microsoft 365, just a message center update. And then we're going to come back and talk about what was new with Azure at at Ignite. How does that sound? That sounds good. Considering that's what I've got on my plan, that sounds really good. Let's stick with the plan. All right. We'll be back in a second. This episode is sponsored by Orchestry. Don't be fooled. Microsoft Teams and SharePoint are difficult. Microsoft Teams, when simply turned on, can be unruly and yield endless sprawl. SharePoint causes constant frustration with user interface and permissioning challenges. End the chaos and harness the full power of Microsoft Teams, SharePoint Online, and Microsoft 365 with Orchestry. Orchestry is the work-made simple platform that empowers end users through controlled self-service provisioning while delivering the actionable insights and lifecycle management your IT administrators need to enable remote and hybrid work productivity without locking down the powerful capabilities of Microsoft Teams and SharePoint Online. See why so many are claiming Orchestry to be the must-have Microsoft Teams management tool of 2021. Get your free access to Orchestry with full featured trial at orchestry.com and tell them the Microsoft Cloud Show sent you to get the all the friends of the show perks. And we're back. Cool. Okay, so CJ, I want to kick off a handful of things here I got from Message Center updates. I'm going to try and keep this nice and nice and tidy because some of these things are a little edgy. They're big things, but they're a little edgy things. And so I want to make sure that people are aware of this stuff. So the first one that I have here is Message Center ID 297438. It's TLS 1.2 enforcement for direct routing SIP interfaces. On January 3rd, of 2022 to provide the best in class encryption to our to Microsoft's customers they're going to begin retiring TLS v1 and v1.1 and begin obligating TLS 1.2 usage for the direct routing SIP interface so that's for things that are doing like calling and stuff like that yeah the next one i have is Microsoft is retiring the security policy advisor in Microsoft 365 apps admin center this is message center id 2969920 They're going to be retiring the security policy advisor beginning on November the 8th, 2021, as in a couple days ago. They recommend using (laughs) the Office Cloud Policy Service, which is where they're going to continue to invest their development resources. So as of November the 8th, they disabled the security policy advisor for tenants who have not previously deployed with a policy. And then after January 17th of 2022, they're going to begin automatically migrating existing customer policies from that old security policy advisor to the Office Cloud Policy Service. So basically, if you've been using these in the past, if you've never used them in the past, they're disabling the security policy advisor. It's disabled in your tenant now. So if you've never done it by the time you're hearing this, it's disabled. Going forward, if you have 
any that you have created with the security policy advisor, any policies you would set up, they will be automatically, you'll still have access to them and they'll still work, but they're going to automatically be migrated starting on January the 17th of next year. The next one that I have is aligning OneDrive sync on Windows support with the Windows OS lifecycle policy. This is Message Center 296615. Beginning on the new year of 2022, they're going to be, they're going to align the OneDrive desktop app, the sync app, support lifecycle with the Windows support lifecycle. So for example, Windows 7 and Windows 8.1, they're going to be supported until January the 10th of 2023. Windows 8 is going to reach end of support on January 12th. 2016. So if you're using OneDrive, it's going to just align with the same supportability. Gotcha. Okay, two more. Chat with users on Teams personal accounts. This is ID 296208. You're going to be able to chat with Teams is going to be able to extend collaboration support by enabling Teams users to chat with team members outside of their work network with a Teams personal account. Customers will be able to invite any Teams user to chat using an email address or phone number and remain within the security compliance policies of their organization. Man, I'm reading that. I read that before. I've now said it. That's hard to like kind of fully understand what's going on here when you talk about teams and chat and team members in and outside your organization stuff. I get what Microsoft is doing with this, but I still think that this whole thing of trying to make teams work between tenants, between organizations and with guests and stuff is still just, I get that they're working on it, but man, it's just, yeah. it's still so damn confusing. Such a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. My last one, Service Communications API Retirement. So this is 295521. This was announced back in August. The legacy version of the Service Communications API is going to be retired on December the 17th of this year, 2021. The new Service Communications API in Microsoft Graph replaces the legacy version and provides access to message center and service health posts for your tenant. The new API is broadly available, so you can use it today. The old one is just going to go away and re be retired in the middle of December. Ta-da. And that Ta -da. is what's fit for the news. Oh, nice. I got one more. I got one Ooh. more really quick one. Okay. Remember last year, Microsoft said that maybe earlier this year, they said, we no longer like user voice. Yes, I do remember that. They finally released from the Microsoft 365 side. They finally released just the other day, a new feedback portal. It's built on top of, it's called Feedback for Microsoft 365. It is a, it's a community feedback experience from Microsoft. It's built on top of the Dynamics 365 customer service, customer service, service, where feedback, feedback is where users can go to provide uh, feedback on Microsoft 365 apps and services in one place. So I've got a link to that blog post by Devin Sheena, by Devin Sina, that came out on December the 10th, so that you can see it. And nice. it's already interesting because I already see like the very first comment that somebody left on this blog post has already been, quote, comment removed by author because the document was changed to make comment irrelevant. I'm like, interesting feedback. So, um, huh. ta-da, a little odd, but that's interesting. it. Right, that's got some, some good uh, message center posts and updates. A little bit of feedback portal stuff. That'll be interesting. I haven't gone and looked at that yet. I have to go check that out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I haven't looked at it either, but I've looked at it a little bit. I mean, the UX is a little boring, but I mean, the point is just to collect feedback. So, yeah. There you go. It makes sense. I mean, might as well keep all the feedback that you're getting from customers in your own domain, in your own, on your own platform and not having it outsourced by a third party service. So that, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. And being able to make different privacy guarantees and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. All right. Excellent. Let's move on. We'll be right back and we'll talk about some news. This podcast is brought to you by ShareGate. 
Microsoft Teams can be a great tool for your organization. That is, before your users make your environment messier than eating a hard shell taco. And that's where ShareCake comes in. Their user-friendly tools automate the tedious daily tasks involved in migrating, managing, and securing Microsoft Teams so that you can maintain a safe and productive environment without locking it down. Head over to ShareGate.com for your free 30-day trial and transform the way that you manage your Microsoft Teams. And now, back to the show. All right, AC, like I said at the beginning of the show, for listeners, we talked about Microsoft 365 news last week. We're going to cover some Azure news this week. There was quite a bit that went on at Ignite. And much like my comment last week, some of it seemed new as well. Oh, yeah. There were some things that I was like, either I'm not paying attention as much as I used to, or they were actually new. So Mm -hmm. that was pretty, I guess, a happy change, happy, happy adjustment from previous Ignites. Yeah, I agree. I was very pleased by it. I'm actually generally I've been I've been pretty pleased with the the Ignite experience this year. So I get the feel that next Ignite is also going to be virtual because if the timing is right, it's that should be in the first towards the end of the first quarter of 2022. And Microsoft did just send out a, a big message to all their MVPs about when the next global summit would be, which is in March of next year. And their stance is still that they they don't believe it's safe to get together at a a physical event. So I'm guessing that's going to extend not just to their MVP community, which they, I would think they have more control over the environment than they would with a major conference. So, yeah. Hey, one thing before we dive into the news, Mm. it's still about Ignite. Mm. But have you seen the outrage and bashing that's been going on about the introductions people were giving to themselves at Ignite? Yes. I just caught wind of this. Like I saw something on, uh, I can't remember where it was yesterday. Maybe it was the day before. And I was like, there is some serious amounts of hate going on. (laughs) I mean, I shouldn't laugh about it, but there's some bashing. And um, it's kind of escaped the sphere of Microsoft's influence, if that makes sense. Like, it's escaped the Ignite bubble and it's it's on like mainstream news. <laughs> when Tucker Carlson is talking about who's a Fox yeah. News personality, when he's talking about it, it's like, yeah, that's not Microsoft's sphere influence. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. I'm just blown away that like it's it's stoked so much uh vitriol outside of outside of the usual audience. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even making comment on what they did. At first, I saw the clip and I was like, huh, that's a little interesting. For those of you who don't know what CJ's talking about, there is a clip that's floating around on Twitter. I, I don't know if I want to put this in our show notes or not, but there's a clip that's floating around on Twitter that was an introduction by the two MCs for the Ignite live stream. And it follows along. I think that the thing that people are getting really bent out of shape about, and this is not me passing any judgment on... I'm going to use a couple of terms just because I'm sure that people are aware of what these terms are, but I'm I'm intentionally yep. not coming down on either side of this. Yep. It's the way they introduced themselves had very much a needle flying from one side of the of the of the dial to the other side in describing themselves to the like the woke mob or the woke crowd and describing themselves like they said, here's my name, and then it's Here's my hair color. I'm wearing this kind of a shirt, this kind of a, this color pants. And the other guys, I'm Hispanic, you know, male. I'm wearing this color shirt, this, this color hair, and this color pants. And it's kind of like... And here are my pronouns. Yeah. Yeah, and here are my pronouns. And, and I, 
I get, yeah, I can see why it's triggered some people. It does feel very much like they flung the needle all the way on the other side. It did come out of nowhere. Like they've not done that at other events, I don't think. Not that I remember. Not that and, I've seen. And I was sitting there and I go, yeah, okay. So I can, some people get pretty bent out of shape about this for, for whatever reason. And then, but, and I was like, what's the reason for them describing what they're wearing? And then I was like, oh, okay. I guess there's visibly impaired people that can't see this. And so they're kind of trying to describe it and things like that. And so I was like, okay, I can get that. But man, there are some triggered little snowflakes out there. I mean, I I saw someone say the same thing that it was like going, apparently the way they describe themselves is about, is for the vision impaired. And I'm just going to be completely transparent by it. But the first, my first question is, if you're visually impaired, does it really matter what color shirt the other person's wearing? Yeah. Is that going to make a difference? Yeah. It does. Are you, why does it make a difference? Because as a visually impaired person, I'm now imagining what, I, what the scene is in the keynote. And you, if you tell me what you're wearing, I can imagine that. I can visualize it in my head instead of seeing it. But if it's just a shirt and pants, I mean... Well, I, yeah, it's just, like, well, it's, it's not... Hi, my name's Chris Johnson. I'm wearing... I mean, okay. <laughs> it's kind of like... Hi, my name's Andrew Call. I'm doing a podcast here with CJ. Hey, CJ, we're here on the video today. I just want to let you know that I am not wearing pants, even though you can't see no, them in the video. No, but it wasn't. It wasn't like that. It was like uh, that's not true. I, I do have pants. It was on. Seth Juarez, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you know, he said something. You know, I'm wearing I don't know whatever it was, blue pants and a red checkered shirt or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the protocols are for for being accessible to visually impaired people. I don't know if that's the sort of the standard way of trying to address visually impaired accessibility stuff, but I think it was the whole, I don't think it was like just describing what they're wearing. I think it was the whole thing, right? It was like the clothes that I'm a, I'm a male Hispanic wearing a blue shirt and red pants and he, him, and my pronouns, something. It was the whole package that just seems to have detonated in some circles. Yeah, I guess I, I look at this as just kind of, I ask the question when people want to keep pushing this stuff and I'm like, where's this supposed to stop? I mean, am I supposed to introduce myself yeah. and tell you, here's what, I, here's what I did this morning. Why am I so hyped up on energy right now? Do I need to tell you that I went for a run this morning? Did I need, do I need to tell you what kind of what I had for breakfast? Do I need to tell you where I'm from so that you don't make some comment about, I don't know, let's just make something out. Rednecks from Northeastern Florida. Yeah. That's where I'm from. Yeah. I don't appreciate you saying that. It's, do I, do we need to go all the way and have this, yeah. does every meeting need to have a 30 minute preamble for the people that are yeah. involved in the, the meeting? Well, if you've worked at Microsoft, you'd know that's perfectly normal. Yeah, well, that's exactly <laughs> what I 30 minute preamble. No, I'm only kidding. It's not the meeting tax is normal, not the, not the yeah. describing what you're wearing thing. But I must admit, I did look at the clip and I was like, what are they doing? Yeah. Oh, it did stick out. I've not seen a presentation like that before. So anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Hey, Anywho, um, I have so, a great idea. Okay. You want to talk about Azure Cosmos DB? How's that for transition? Uh, yeah, you. Yeah, feel free. Why don't you lead <laughs> us off? Let's do it. I thought we had a bunch of stuff. I, mean, that, I don't want to go too deep on that on that other stuff because I'm sure that's not why people tune in is to find out what you and I think about uh, pronouns and all that. And so I, I might have gone over, I might have said too much. Just but anyway. for the record, I'm wearing a blue and dark hoodie and a Microsoft Cloud Show shirt and no pants. Oh, there you go. I'm wearing a white t-shirt, my Coda racetrack, my Coda racetrack t-shirt from Austin, Texas, and I'm wearing jeans. And I've got my earbuds in and I've got a empty my empty breakfast next to me. There you go. Was it tasty? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, it wasn't. 
it was quick. Document um, Cosmos DB had a bunch of updates, and this was stuff that I do feel like there was a bunch of news that they decided to just mm. do like a mic drop on the first day of on the first day of Ignite. I've got a link to their blog, and I would I would suggest really it's all the stuff that I'm mentioning here is stuff that they started posting about on November the 2nd, and it went on for about a week. Actually, most of it was all on November the 2nd. But they've done a lot of stuff that make things better for developers. They've done a lot of work to improve query performance. There's better things for like measuring like the, the performance of your indexes to optimize your queries and to reduce your costs. They've doubled down on their serverless story for Cosmos DB. But they've also done some things that have made life a lot easier, where before you could only do a full document update when you wanted to update a record inside of Cosmos DB. Now we can do partial document updates in Cosmos DB. They've got some advanced analytic features that they've announced as well that are available to us and improved app performance with the Java SDK for Cosmos DB. So there's a bunch of links there. There's also some stuff in there about custom partitioning and Synapse for Cosmos. That's pretty cool. So it's really neat because it really does, it does a really good job of giving you a better idea to kind of not just visualize what your, or to predict what your costs are going to be like, but to also manage your costs as some of the stuff they've done inside of Cosmos. So, yeah. Nice. Speaking of new things, there is a new public preview for a service called Azure container apps. If you have done anything with containers in Azure, there's a number of ways you can skin that cat. And this is a new way of of doing the same thing. Today, you've got things like managed Kubernetes service, AKS, for doing full-blown container workloads on, on Kubernetes and managing and orchestrating them. Or you've got container instances, I think they call it ACI, Azure Container Instances, where you can deploy a single container, right? This Container apps, Azure container apps, is kind of like a halfway point between those two. It's a serverless container environment. So you get a bunch of the ease of not having to run a sort of full-scale Kubernetes deployment like you would if you were doing it on bare metal or even the work you have to do to do it with a managed Kubernetes service like AKS. Mm-hmm. And it's much, much simplified, but it still gives you more complexity and control than you would with ACI. It's a pretty sweet sort of halfway ground. The idea is that you'll be able to use things like Dapper, which is the distributed application runtime, which is basically a framework for how you can build microservices and how they communicate with each other and find each other and all that sort of stuff and deploy them into Azure Container Apps without a bunch of hard work and pain of having to learn all of the things you need to know for Kubernetes and how to deploy apps to Kubernetes. So they make it pretty simple and straightforward. And then also using things like Kubernetes event-driven auto-scaling or CADA, KEDA, K-E-D-A, which is great for watching certain loads and scaling up and scaling down. So I guess Microsoft's doing their Microsoft thing, right? Where they take something that's quite complicated like Kubernetes, build a bunch of tooling and additional things on top of it to make it a whole bunch easier. And that's what Azure Container Apps essentially is for people. So it just makes it more approachable, easier and simpler to build microservice-based applications and manage that infrastructure. Very cool. Yeah, that's an, it's a nice middle ground between saying I want to go containerized, but I don't want to... Like you would think that having like a containerized environment, like a Kubernetes environment managed in Azure dramatically simplifies your life from you having to go through and feed and water it and manage it yourself with your own VMs. It does. Yeah. But still, there's a lot of feed and watering and managing of your of your Kubernetes environment that you still have to do. And if you're going to go with with, with Kubernetes, and this yeah. does do a good job. This is supposed to alleviate that 
that next step. So it's, it's not just a middle ground, but it's kind of like a middle ground to the middle ground. Yep, for sure. I've got some updates here around Logic Apps. They Microsoft, earlier this year at the Build Conference, they announced the general availability of Logic App Standard. And that's more allowing you a much more like flexible, containerized, and modern workflow engine that you can run anywhere that you want. They said they've seen a lot of growth in that area, and they've gone through and added a bunch of new features to the core of the Logic Apps runtime. Hmm. The first one here, I don't really understand. I didn't know that this was a problem, but they now have a way that you can define, you can use SQL as a as your storage for logic apps. And I don't mean like building a logic app that can connect to SQL and read and write data. I mean, like when you create a logic app, you have to point to a storage account where it's going to store the logic app, where it's going to go store store the actual workflow, the, gotcha. the, the piece like itself. configuration. Yeah, and then the history of all the runs and all that kind of stuff. You would usually do that with Azure Storage, but now you can pick SQL. And it says the reason why you would do that is to give you a low latency, more predictable cost, and the ability to run in a fully disconnected manner if needed. I okay. I mean, I guess that if it if you wanted if you were going to use Azure Storage, you kind of had to be. You couldn't be disconnected because Azure Storage doesn't run locally. There are like emulators like Azureite that you can use that are from Microsoft that allow you to do that. But yeah, I guess that that was a, that was a desire that people had with that. Another big feature that they added, this was really nice, is manage identities. It allows you to give an identity to your application when connecting to resources that support Azure AD Auth. This is big because managed identity, like for example, today, if I want to query like a log analytics database, sorry, a log analytics workspace, from a Azure, I have to somehow authenticate and get an access token to be able to talk to log analytics. But what managed identities allow me to do is to go into my Azure function, say that this is, I want this to be a, man, a managed identity, and I want to give this Azure function the permission or specific for log analytics. And so I gave my Azure function app, I gave it log analytics reader, uh, that role on a specific resource group that contained my uh, log analytics workspace. No usernames, no passwords, no nothing. And as long as you're using a specific library for Microsoft, in my case, the at Azure, I'm using Node, so it's the at Azure slash identity one, then it has its four stages that it looks at for the identity. It goes all the way up to, starts the, well, goes from the bottom to the top, where bottom is like the most control, where you can pass in like credentials, or it goes up and says, let's look at the, for a managed identity. And if I don't find the managed identity, then let's go to environment variables or let's go to like specific username right. passwords that have been passed in. So it's pretty cool to see it work. I mean, it's, it works. It's nice because there's no, you, there's no credentials in your code when you're going to connect to these different things. You just say, hey, my function app can talk to this stuff. And locally, when I want to test it, one of the things that it can grab the identity from is if you are logged in through the Azure CLI or the right. equivalent PowerShell thing. That's cool. There's a bunch of automation tasks they added, some improvements to the designer consumption. They had a nice model to export your logic app from the consumption model to standard. And if you wanted to, your consumption, you're were, you were using it a lot more than you thought you would. On a predictable, you can, on a predictable stance, you might want to switch over to standard for cost reasons. And they've also done a bunch of stuff around connectors as well. Nice. Speaking of identity, Azure AD had some announcements to make at Ignite. Top of the list of their announcements, they're trying to design a more resilient identity service. <laughs> so you don't say. If you haven't had your head, if you haven't had your head under a rock or buried in the sand for the last couple of years, they've had some pretty bad outages in the past. And it, when it goes down or has a problem, it 
kind of takes everything with it, right? It's either, I was joking the other day with somebody, they said, oh, we were talking about outages due to, oh, it was Facebook's outage, I think it was. I was like, yeah, it's, it's either SSL, DNS, or Azure AD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of at that level. Anyway, so Microsoft have come out and, and talked about their eight core principles for, to build a more resilient identity service, including things like it being highly redundant. Hmm. That's an obvious one. No yep. single point of failure. That's another obvious one. Multiple levels of isolation. The list goes on. Mm-hmm. Elastic scalability, safe deployment, modern verification, blast radius reduction with cell-based architecture and independent backup authentication service. Where's SSL? Yeah, there's no mention of DNS either. <laughs> yeah, where's DNS and SSL? <laughs> anyway, so they're trying to deliver on their 99.99% SLA commitment. Apparently, they've broken the service up into a bunch of cells. And now there are 107 independent cells that can that make up Azure AD today. So perhaps they've taken on some of their lessons from the past. I don't know. I guess we'll see proofs in the pudding, right? But I love it that one of their Ignite, Ignite announcements is that they're more resilient. I think that's, I, you know, I yeah. can see why they why they wanted to tell people their track I, well, record's not been fantastic. Yeah, and I, I wish they'd chosen a different word than cells, like just call them components. Because, I mean, look, I'm a fan of Azure AD. I like it. But it's one of those things that you kind of love to hate because when it goes down, its blast radius is quite wide and you call them cells. I mean, it feels like now I've got lots of little terrorists running around inside Azure AD, which frankly, a lot of times that's the way it feels. Yeah, yeah. So if it does go down, which it inevitably will, they've invested in a thing called a backup, the, the backup authentication service, which apparently is a completely separate and independent secondary system that essentially caches all the tokens. I, oh, think. I thought you were going to say it's Google. Oh, so apparently like active sessions won't die in a fire immediately. Does that make huh. sense? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, uh, so when they do inevitably have problems, then maybe maybe the blast radius won't be quite as bad. Hmm. Interesting. I've got one here about a feature that Microsoft is calling Web Pub Sub that is now generally available. Oh, I think is it generally available? Is it or is it in Dev Preview? I believe it's publicly available, but I would double check that. I would just make sure of that. Basically, what is what what is Azure Web Pub Sub? They call it. Real-time messaging for web applications. And then here's the kicker, whatever would be looking for, all the developers would be looking for, using WebSockets and the PubSub pattern. So basically, Microsoft has taken how a lot of people use things, a lot of developers use something called Socket.io to be able to have a PubSub pattern, pattern from web apps to be able to have servers communicate with web apps without there being a polling mechanism. The Microsoft tech stack has used, what was it called? Signal as something yep. that kind of was kind of homegrown to do that. The non-Microsoft world has used WebSockets, and it looks like they are making this a service by creating something called WebPubSub that is essentially a SaaS or a PaaS-based WebSocket slash Socket.io kind of implementation. So that's gotcha. it's, it's cool to see. Nice. All right. I have got uh, one last one for me, which is called the Azure Chaos Studio. So if you're familiar with Chaos Monkey, I think it was a Netflix years and years and years ago. Netflix came out with this thing called Chaos Monkey, which would run around and like randomly annihilate bits of their infrastructure to like constantly test resilience in their system and fault tolerance and things. Now Azure have come out with Chaos Studio, which is designed to do a similar kind of thing, right? Essentially ensure and make sure that you're resilient to failure in your applications. I haven't played around with this yet. I haven't seen a demo of it. But you can simulate different types of faults, like 
network latency and things like that to just start screwing with your apps and see how they respond. So this is cool that they've done this. I'm curious to see, to take a look at this a little bit more. You're even able to build resilience using ad hoc chaos experiments, then continuously validate that the new deployments won't regress resiliency by adding chaos testing as part of a deployment gate in your CI and CD. That's pretty nice. I took that straight from their blog post. That's really interesting. Man, there's so many like trying to be funny kind of cynical things I feel like I could say on this, which is, do they have a checkbox that says DNS broke? Or do they have a button that just says <laughs> expire certs? Azure AD available. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's it. So the first subheading in the blog post is why practice chaos engineering? There's three paragraphs. And I'm like, huh, you kidding me? Just put Azure AD right into that. Yeah, going to shorten that right up. Yeah, gotcha. It's a fully managed service, deeply integrated into Azure, expanding fault and expanding fault library. So there's a whole bunch of like faults that you can define. There's 25 more. There's more than 25 vaults and faults in their fault library. Replication of real world scenarios and controlled chaos. You can easily stop an experiment and roll back the fault being injected to avoid having more impact to an environment than originally intended. <laughs> it's the get out of jail free card. I wonder if one of the fault libraries is works on my machine. That would be good. That would yeah. be good. Yeah. Cool. Shall we go do some picks or have you got one last thing you want to finish up with us on this on the news, AC? There is a lot of stuff that also came out. We've got a link to the book of news. The whole first section of the book of the book of news, I believe it's the whole chapter on chapter one on Azure is what we were covering today. There's also a section on chapter seven, which is on security compliance and identity management that contains some other stuff too that you and I have not, we did not dive into today. There's a lot of stuff there. There's a, the, the book of news is a great way to go get caught up on on what's new. And it's not one that you can just quickly look at the table of contents and go, oh, look, I can go through and grok this and figure out everything that was out there. You dive in those two paragraphs on Cosmos DB and you click on the Cosmos DB one and it takes you to 10 blog posts. So yeah, yeah. it's very much a, a rabbit hole that you could go down on this, but it's one of the reasons why we broke this show up into two episodes. So I think we covered the big stuff there's a bunch of things that were around virtual machine updates and cognitive service updates as well that you guys that ever that you guys as the listeners, if you're interested in that stuff, there's news there and we'll include some additional links in our show notes of stuff that we that we would highlight. Sounds good. All right, let's take a quick break and get into the picks. AC's Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. Cool. What have you got for us this week, AC? We're getting close to a big milestone or a big event. And I've been following it closely. And I want to make sure that I had other picks that I thought about doing. And I was like, let's just do, let's just see the ones that are timely. We are right. getting very close to the James Webb Space Telescope and deployment and launch and deployment that is supposed to happen. And the telescope is out of the out of the lab. It's been packed up. It is put on a ship. It has been, I think it's French New Guinea. It has been. Oh, yeah sent to the launch site, everything, the rocket and the payload are all being configured and set up for ready for launch in December. There is a video that I've linked to here. It's my pick this week. Got a half a million views so far as well. Now, granted, this video is seven years old, but (laughs) what it does do is it does walk through the entire Deployment and there's a good one that goes with this that's linked in the this link from the video as well. That's also about four years old. It's about the launch and the deployment. But this video is about five minutes and it walks through the 30 days after the launch happens and how the telescope is is supposed to get where it's going. 
and then how the deployment looks and everything. This is going to be almost, I say it's unlike anything else we've done, but it's unlike a lot of other things that we've done in space in the sense that when this thing starts its journey, there's no let's go service this thing like we've been able to do with like with yeah. the Hubble, which is currently offline. Uh, it's been offline so, now for two weeks. Oh, Hubble has? I yeah, it's been that. in safe mode for two weeks. But this is when this thing goes, I mean, it's going so far out there that it's going to be, uh, there's no way that we're going to be able to service it. So it's a one shot thing. Yep. Unless you want to figure something out, but oh. big, big pucker factor. Like it's, yeah. it's going to be epic if it works. It, and it's, I think this, the age of this video does go to show just how long this has been, you know, underway, right? This project has been a long, long time coming. Yeah. And if you, I mean, if you want to see kind of how the thing is set up and how it works or like what the pieces are, it's actually does a good job of when you watch this video, you can see what's special about this, like how they've got this. It's, it looks like a gigantic umbrella that shields one side of the telescope from the other side. And it's almost like a 500 degree difference in terms of temperature. Right. So that the side that's facing the sun is not the side that's the telescope. And so that's going to keep the telescope from getting solar radiation interference and having to cool down all the sensors. But the other side, one side's got heaters and one side's got coolers because yeah. it's going to be so hot. And it's really interesting what they've done. It's really it's really cool. So I'd encourage you to use Space Nut to go check this out. It's going to be uh, interesting to watch. Nice. I did a last minute pick change. Oh, Because I felt my pick that I'd put in was really something we should talk about on the show as Microsoft News, so I moved it. Anywho, this pick I've shared with you before, this is yep. Learn DMARC, which DMARC should give anybody horrors and shivers. If you've done anything with email and deliverability of email and email security or lack thereof, things like SPF and, oh, sorry, is it SFP or S, no, it's F, SPF. And DMARC should give you nightmares and horror stories. Anyway, if you don't know what any of it is, then there is a handy little tool that somebody's written or handy little website called learndmark.com. And it's this nifty little tutorial on how DMARC security and email works. Mm. And it's step-by-step. Step. So you can, you can either send it a real email and it'll walk through the steps of how it verifies it's actually from you and whether it passes the checks and all that, or you can load a random sample. Anyway, if you don't know how DMARC works, it's great just to step through it step-by-step step and see how it all hangs together. If you ever do anything with sending an email, either using something like SendGrid or whatnot, you're going to need to know about DMARC. You might as well go check it out. Oh my God, these guys are cheeky. They even have a... I, so I clicked on the link to see what, what your pick was this week. I went to it. And it's, it's pretty cool, right? Like you can send it an email. So they give you... When the web app starts up, it, it starts up with a random email that you can use to yeah. forward an email to it to watch it go through the thing. So I sat here just watching it as you as you were talking and it's got the classic little, the icon kind of spinning that looks like the old school thing. And it's like waiting for an incoming email. And if you wait long enough, it's, you don't have to write us an entire love letter. We're still waiting. <laughs> yeah, this is a SPF and DCAM and DCAM and DMARC. DMARC kind of wraps up D, uh, SPF and DCAM. And the way I explain it to people is that when you send an email, email servers can look at the domain that it came from. Yeah. It can do specific queries against your DNS and your DNS kind of tells it, hey, the email should match these rules. And if it doesn't, then throw it away. And some of it's an encryption stuff and whatever. And so that way, like I went through 
this exercise with my business and found some people were sending emails from my domain and without they were sending emails from my domain not by hacking in my stuff but by just spoofing me and what I was able to do with this is that by setting up some rules basically tell people that I keep I still get things from Microsoft 365 that says hey we got this email from this group that this is totally not legit based on your your DMARC rules I'm currently in quarantine mode which says accept the email but send it back to me I'm waiting for Black Friday to be concluded after I've been doing this now for a few months because email is so important to me on with Black Friday that on December the 1st, I'm flipping over my my quarantine over to restrictive, which, yeah. Yeah, which just says, hey, if you get it, it doesn't pass the rules, kick it. Kick it. All right, I'll go learn some DMARC and learn about the James Webb Space Telescope. Cool. Good talking to you again today, this week, man. Yeah, thanks for good catch up and we will tune in next week with more good stuff and maybe we'll even get to some CICD Azure Function stuff. There you go. We will. We will. I promise. All right. Have a good one. You too. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or mp3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com where you'll get notices of each episode as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.